Hello and welcome to BL Podcast. My name is Jyoti and I'm your host for today. We will talk about the, an entity that has got everybody's attention, the ONDC. ONDC, which has been set up by the government as a non-profit company, is a network that lets sellers voluntarily display their products and services across all participating apps and platforms. We have Sharma, CEO and co-founder of Magic Pin and Rishav Jain, Managing Director, Consumer and Retail Lead at Alvarez & Marcel, who will give us a detailed insight about ONDC, how it works and the future of it. So, my first question is to both my guests, that many believe that ONDC is going to shake up the e-commerce world and it will be a force of inclusion which will bring small buyers and sellers into the e-commerce ecosystem. So my first question is to Anshu right now, if you could weigh in here and tell us that how is this going to work? Hi, Jyoti. Thank you so much for having me here. Now, what we do blends very nicely into what the mandate that ONDC has. And now let me get into the answer for your question around why is it that it's a big deal? It's a... Uh, before uh, e-commerce came into our country, which was a decade back, um, there was offline retail, which which has done most of what is required. All the product services are already around us. But over the last decade, a lot of investment has gone into the e-commerce side. And you have warehouses, dark stores, inventory, all of these. But they've got built within private platforms, which have become big now. And we are all using them very effectively. But the local merchant hasn't yet been able to participate in this fast-growing online economy of the country. And what... Magic Pen had set out to do was to bring these local merchants online. But now what actually can be done through a platform like ONDC is whatever 30, 40 million offline merchants exist in our country who are serving us through online platforms, which have already become, become big, they can be showing their products, their services at these large online platforms. So for us, it was a... Um, an opportunity where we started by showing these merchants on Magic Pin, but once we put them on to a network like ONDC, they're now visible at many more large apps, apps like Paytm, PhonePay, and there are many more that are coming online to this network. Yeah, that is true. It does help in to bring so many buyers and sellers who might not have the mind to go to these bigger platforms to have a space to showcase their own plat own products. Rishav, if now you could weigh in and tell us how would e-commerce and ONDC going to disrupt the entire game and your views on it, please. Thank you, Jyoti, for having me here. It's a real pleasure. Hi, Anshu. ONDC uh, is a buzzword that we've been hearing for a while. It's come to life. Uh, a lot of people are getting used to how this works. Fundamentally, you should picture ONDC as a, it's almost like the middle catalyst, which has, which will be able to enable anyone and everyone to be connected to the e-commerce world. Now, it could have both B2C and B2B benefits, for example. 
it, the platform is not only made for a B2B benefit. Now, like Anshu said, there are about a host of MSMEs, uh, home sellers. Uh, it could be home product and service sellers. Uh, anyone who wants to be a part or let's say wants to work with the consumer, showcase their products, sell their services at the right cost and with limited resource requirements from their side can be a part of ONDC. And at the front end, as adoption increases for ONDC is where as more and more super apps or larger apps come become a part of this entire ecosystem, more and more service providers become part of this ecosystem. Gradually, the resources at the front end and the B2B resources will actually come together to make sure that the transaction becomes uh, fruitful between the seller and the buyer. Literally, that's the way you should imagine an ONDC. And this could have a B2C implication. It could even have a B2B implication, in fact. So uh, both of these come together. A lot of this will unfold, as you see. I mean, some of the way I'm thinking is slightly more futuristic, but that's how it will unfold eventually. And, uh, and, and, and it's been kept fairly seamless, open, uh, in terms of what, user, what users can this platform bring to the consumer. But broadly, that's the core of how this platform really will work. My next question is actually based on this. So two of the most important components of ONDC, the bigger parameters that is based on, one of them is interoperability, and the other is to unbundle, is on unbundling, right? So, but the bigger fear for a lot of other people is this, that it might lead to a situation where winners will take all. Probably a few players will make it very, very big in this game. While probably the smaller sellers or somebody who might not have that equal amount of play into it might be left behind. So if you could weigh into it, we'll start with Rishabh first. Okay, so um, I think the idea of ONDC was not to really create any, or let's say mandate any sort of competitive advantage or loss for anyone. Now, the moment you have a lot of uh, a lot of sell-side products and sellers who don't have access to the core platforms today come on some of these platforms, whichever will actually come and join ONDC, the visibility straight up increases. Yes, the question is how visible, front page visibility, fourth page visibility, whether they'll end up selling the product or not. Those are, of course, uh, core tenets of a marketplace and that competitiveness will thrive. But having said that, even to be in this entire connected world will be the first port of benefit for all those sellers. Now, the reason why unbundled work is because the core, see, in an e-commerce business, what you really offered was not only the consumer, but also all sorts of services together. And hence the inventory model, the non-inventory model, uh, the, uh, the, the fallback liability of a consumer, all of those were taken care by a single front-end platform actually. In fact, one of the one of the uh, situ uh, you know points that being deliberated today is how do you manage fallback liabilities in this case? We will come to that later. But having said that, what happens is that more and more B two B providers will start coming in, and the moment they start coming in, all of this benefit of ONDC will un unfurl. So unbundled services has to be the core because if that were not to be the case, the existing platform already delivering the services. 
and the cost reduction is another area which will actually help some of these uh, incoming product or services sellers which didn't have access so far so yes i think uh, at some ex- at, at to some extent the way this could have worked at the right cost would have been with an un- un- unbundled interoperable platform uh, who wins where it gets aggregated i think that will all depend on uh, how some of these platforms take up this cause but being visible itself and having an access to this entire marketplace and then being able to sell would be a big plus ansho if you could come in and be on this yeah i, I think absolutely uh, the the structurally the plat- like ondc as a network is meant to foster um better efficiency through more competition through unbundling and so on i like let's if we make it more um the constituents of this network there is a buyer app uh, where the demand is generated there is the seller app where that demand lands there is a logistics provider who would make sure that the delivery actually happens of a product and then finally there's a seller in a private platform to an extent all of these pieces if you think about it the demand gen the seller role and the logistics in many cases are being done by the same private company and that's what creates in a way an opportunity to as the platform grows charge rentals that that oligopolistic behavior that starts to come in but in an ondc network where all of these are fundamentally just different entities to begin with it's the opposite of saying winner takes all structurally it is just unbundling that network and then even within each of these buckets there's no one buyer app there are multiple buyer apps because the network is opened up there's no one seller app there'd be multiple seller apps that would come in there are multiple logistics provider so i i think with anything that is new there'd always be this concern that hey this this might do something which we don't really know and there might be some skepticism around it just structurally and how it's playing out also it, it just shows that it's bringing in the best that each of these buckets have to offer and then within each of these buckets there is this competition which will continue to make things more efficient finally for the seller the merchant that i spoke of earlier if he was today selling at two large apps he now might have access to 20 more and if that happens his cost of reaching out to customers will go down and as that happens that's just better for the whole economy and where this is all going is that eventually e-commerce infrastructure should become more commoditized and not be part of only some private platforms and each of the members would have to add more value such that they can build more margins versus being able to get to a point where they have cornered most of the market um the e-commerce penetration in the country at this moment is just 8.5% in a population of a billion and ondc is planning or is talking about driving the penetration up to 50% the mobile penetration in india is also not up to where it is to be at most of the western countries how will this work out how is the infrastructure going to be developed or how will this entire thing going to work out for us anshu if you could weigh in here yeah um i think part of this opening up of the 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 value in the um in ecosystem through this unbundling 
is going to lead to more entities being able to come in and invest in building infrastructure. Um, I, I think of an analogy which is used in some rough way has been the UPI analogy, where once you opened up that ecosystem and the reduced the cost structure and made it possible for many more entities in the ecosystem to participate, it just thrived. It just grew very quickly. Um, so I think there'd be there'd be some amount of infrastructure foundational work which is happening right now will continue to happen and some more complex transaction than the UPI. But I think at at some stage it will inflict. And then you'd start to see that the gap, whatever eight, ten percent which we've done in the last decade, that starts to happen like we start to get eight, ten percent in a year. And um, there is all sorts of macro which is behind it. And just to kind of anecdotally show very early signs, but when we started to work on ONDC, which was not really far back, it was um, beginning of April, we were just seeing 100 transactions come on the network in a day. Middle of April, that grown to 1,000. End of April, it went up to 10,000. By the time we were in May, it was 20,000. June was 30,000. And right now we are crossing 35,000 regularly. So, and this is all a very short duration of time. And I'm saying still, there's so much left to do, but even within this short duration, you can see the trajectory it's starting to take. And as that becomes big and starts to inflect, I think that's when you can expect that 50% kind of market, or at least that's what we should aspire to, would start to happen on a network or a platform like this. Yeah, uh, Rishav, if you could, Share your thoughts on it. It's an interesting question, Jyoti. See, honestly speaking, Jyoti, the if you just look at the sheer numbers, there are so many factors which indicate the fact that there is a huge headroom, but there is a huge way covered. Now, give you some sense, right? Today, online product and services shoppers put together will be close to about 180 to 200 million shoppers. Digital payment users will be close to about 350 million users. Content users today, about 450 million content users. Uh, you know, something like something like Diksha, which is basically the enrollments in Diksha portal, which was more on education. That's about 160 million. So when you talk of some of these numbers in a population of about 1.4 billion, you're talking about people who are very used to at the front end doing this. Where I think the infrastructure needs to develop would be how do you enable these merchants to actually come on these portals? Because today, if you look at logistics providers, they are fairly deep. Most deep logistics providers are serving to 19,000 to 20,000 pin codes. If you look at banking services, most of these players are available in e-commerce or in physical form almost at every nook and corner of the country. Uh, bank accounts, we already know the number of bank accounts India has. Uh, what is the third element? Third element really where the consumer is there and where the seller is there, right? Now, the fact that the seller already is present in the physical form, but that seller becoming more digital and creating its capability in uploading those products, creating catalogs, and hence becoming more and more self-reliant on that front on a tech uh, with the digital underlay, is probably the one thing which will take time over a period of time. And if you take any cue from how digital Kiranas actually got onboarded uh, by many of the platforms to order digitally, that had its own pace of improvement, right? Uh, and that probably will mimic on the sell side, on the on the seller side, how they 
gradually come on board. On the buy side, honestly speaking, this penetration will kind of thrive. This that that doesn't need much infrastructure because logistically and financial services wise, both are available today. And you know, with three fifty million transacting already into uh, onto your uh, digital payments, that we don't think will be a problem. But yeah, the bottleneck really would be how each of the sellers gradually uh, onboard themselves into the platform because here the services of that seller uploading their products, uploading their services. Uh, creating their end uh, capability to really pack, del uh, pack, keep the orders ready, or have the manpower to deliver the service. All of that is dependent on that smaller merchants to be ready. That probably will be the point which we'll need to develop, and that will have it happen at a slightly lower pace versus all the front end and the enablers that you already see. Yes, the front end, the developers could be ready, but the sellers and that part has to be something that has to be worked upon along with as you just said so that is something that has to be looked at and that infrastructure has to be developed ondc as you just pointed out like upi is going to become the ondc is being touted to become the next upi but with upi the the, the thing was that it was dealing with a single commodity that is currency Whereas U ONDC is a much more complex setup. For UPR to also really take off, it took them six years and the pandemic became a push for it. So what would be the trigger or the push for ONDC to become as massive as UPI is? Uh, Rishav, if you could be in here. You're right. There were some there were some serious uh, inflection points in, in case of UPI, and that kind of led to UPI adoption uh, accelerate in the past three or four years. Having said that, I think uh, ONDC. I don't think ONDC has seen that inflection point yet, uh, and I don't see any inflection point coming in ONDC's adoption. But the capability building you need for ONDC will have it grow in a certain pace. Uh, ONDC's vision probably is more a decadal vision rather than a three-year, four-year, five-year vision. And I kind of agree with that because here the capability of the seller to really scale up, uh, to come into this entire uh, portal, the adoption of e-commerce buying happening at tier, so tier 3, tier 4, tier 5, cities in rural cities we already seen snippets of that with a lot of social commerce or value commerce platforms benefiting from that adoption that will go up but uh, the back-end realities uh, will actually uh, lead to a gradual adoption of ondc over a period of time the curve of upi will that be followed by ondc i think less so uh, but yeah ondc's adoption will it lead to upi levels perhaps it's more a decadal story than a three-year four-year story Anshu, your point of view on this? Yeah, uh, uh, very, very interesting point uh, that which was made. I'd, I'd start by saying that, you know, um, things happen gradually and then suddenly. Um, so giving ONDC more time, like a decade, is not going to get it to an inflecting trajectory. It'll happen. It'll need some amount of baking. But when it gets baked, I think it'll start to run off. And we are on the network. I just told you of the numbers. Even at the current scale, we can see that moving up. I think it'll happen category by category. And all elements of success will lead to more success. I just spoke about 
the viability of the platform could be for a lot of more use cases mm-hmm. ondc has just started its b2b onboarding also how do we see the b2b space can unlock more value in ondc rishav if you could start first see fundamentally what you're talking about is it is a platform where a buyer or a seller needs to be there and the buyer doesn't need to be a final end buyer right which is your b2c buyer as b2b platforms start adopting ondc or let's just start getting plugged into ondc whether it's a distribution system whether it's like a front ending farm inputs system whether it's agritech player which is working both at the farmer end as well as at the b2b buyer end think about this situation as in as you get associated to all of these solution providers at b2b level which are in construction for example working in packaging material working in contract jobs all of these as they come together you as a solution provider or you as a buyer can be linked to it through ondc so what it does is it doesn't limit the b2b onboarding for a agritech player limited to what they can onboard gradually over a period of time the moment they get associated they can have a host of farmers buying in and they can have a, or farmers selling in for example or they could have a host of uh, agri input players who could be selling into the platform and certainly have access to those farmers so i just took one example this actually applies to a bunch of b2b tech players who are trying to build these platforms right and probably b2b tech takes even longer to get that penetration going because you have physically onboard a bunch of it's not as simple as uh, front end because you have to enable larger bulkier goods transport financing a bunch of those things i think there for all these b2b tech platforms as the sellers start coming in on both ends there that really opens up their ability to push those products to the buyers in the b2b universe so and that's the way b2b will unfold over a period of time here anshu your thoughts on it yeah just uh, I, i completely aligned that uh, as the commerce network grows becomes more reliable becomes more functional has more features more participants all sorts of entities would come onto the platform i know b2b and b2c these are our ways of defining and framing the kind of commerce i can tell you two big things that are already happening on the network which are b2b in nature one is that magic pin was a b2c platform but because there was just so much that was happening on the network and we wanted to enable those things to happen faster we launched a saas version of our demand side and we could go and plug that into paytm which is public and now many other large buyer side apps it's a b2b offering and it's being built on the network such that the buyer side can build functionality specific to a category quickly another very interesting example is logistics for a b2c transaction to get delivered logistics needs to happen we are not doing logistics there are a bunch of logistics companies in the country we are today i'd say the largest independent a hyper local logistics provider which aggregates over all the hyper local logistics guys like shadowfax danzo rapido loadshare and what we are doing is the transaction is in real time farmed out to all the participants the logistics participants and in real time basis latency reliability pricing we would assign it to one of them it is a b2b transaction happening in real time and being fueled by the ondc network so i think many of these use cases will just continue to build and that will strengthen the whole network and also create more value for us 
Yes, that's true. The logistic partners, I think, is something that is going to play a very crucial and important role, especially when it comes to B2B, because if goods and bigger goods have to be transferred, then they are the players that have to be involved into this. So how do you think other sectors, whether it's the fintech or the logistics or the other aligning sectors, how will they benefit out of ONDC? Unsure if we could be in. Yeah, I'm just, just building on this, right? For commerce to happen, many enablers also need to be there. Logistics is one example. Cataloging is another example. Credit is another example, which is part of the the financial stack. Like if you think of electronic subvention, um, and which is funded by the OEM or the retailer combined, very important part of that category. If that category has to move on to NDC, then those constituents also move alongside that. So I'd say almost all aspects of the commerce, which is um, warehousing, uh, cataloging, logistics, um, I gave the example of this buyer side SaaS, which is a Shopify-like solution for the buyer app ecosystem. Um, uh, fintech, uh, from credit, not just to the consumer, but also to the merchant. I think as all of that becomes available, is standardized, and like it just opens up a plethora of opportunities across all industries. Um, and the more it, the bigger it is, you know, the more innovation starts to happen on the network. Yourself. I mean, fully aligned with what Anshu mentioned. What do you need, right? You will need the logistics tech platforms to have services deeper and deeper in the country because you never know where the seller resides today. While people talk about 20,000 pin code reach, of course, that needs to be really tested and deepened, which means you will need people who have already done that right now. For all you know, in Logistics India Post, kind of players may get really evolved if they can really associate themselves to this. From a fintech perspective, you will need more innovative and thoughtful ways of underwriting some of these players. You will need innovative products to really come in to work with these MSMEs on the seller side to really help them. From a tech player perspective, there will be emergence of probably players or players will scale up to help assist some of these sellers and shops to, to come into terms with the internet world, right? Something like uh, B2B distribution players had done and held the retailers over a period of time to get them accustomed to this world and get their product, their systems up. Here, it will be a step ahead because you need to upload your product or services up. From a middle tech perspective, Anshu already mentioned how that, uh, you know, uh, the B2B SaaS platform will work. So you'll realize for it to be successful, everybody is pulling in and a lot of these interventions will be needed. And all of these services that will make the commerce happen will actually benefit from it because gradually you, you need uh, all these to work together to make sure that eventually the product is delivered and the merchant gets financed and the product is visible, right? So yeah, all these will actually gain significantly because you are taking the game to every small MSME home seller which needs helping in this entire piece. True. It is going to be a setup where everybody will benefit because all sectors need each other help to grow and to be able to reach to consumers at the last mile. So that is absolutely important. Is ONDC going to stiffen online competition in terms of e-commerce, especially in the digital space? And how is it going to strengthen the digital economy of this country? Rishav, if you could weigh in. See, I don't know if I can use the word democratization of digital commerce, but probably that's what ONDC is trying to do. The moment you do democratization of commerce, uh, naturally what will happen is that 
people have more choices to sell at and people have more choices to buy from. And that will equify some bit of competition in the e-commerce industry today for sure. And hence, and then also this is all coming at a certain reduced cost structure, at least the cost implication for some of those small and medium-sized sellers of product and services. So naturally, I do feel that over a period of time, this will uh, democratize adoption and you know distribute the comparative benefits to a larger set of set of players. And we saw that as value commerce came in, right? Uh, you literally saw that benefit of value commerce creeping into some of those players who went deeper and actually even just tapped that level of consumer. And that naturally also divided that entire comparative share of the two major players into some of the third, fourth players. So that already happened is going to take it even further down. From a digital adoption perspective, I mean, we spoke about it, you know, whether it uh, inflects now, inflects data, I think this is bound to happen. Uh, the inclusiveness of this entire platform, whether I'm not saying that two shop owner in a tier four city will suddenly become all online sales. But yeah, when that shop owner is losing share to an online purchase because a consumer walks into that store, or let's say was walking into the store earlier, now is shopping online, or the consumer walks into the store saying that, by the way, the same product is available online at 30% discount or a 10% discount or a 15% discount, that seller now is not going to lose eventually. Uh, or, you know, so those benefits will prove in and that will lead to the adoption. They will participate probably 5, 10, 15, 20% of the sale may be online at that point in time, but they will still be there online. They will not be losing it. But uh, yeah, I mean, this will democratize adoption and hence there would be a distribution of that competitive share. Anshu? Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, everything that Rishabh said is, I'm completely aligned with that. And, you know, competition is good. It makes it possible uh, for people who are creating differentiation to stand out and over a period, things that are new need to become commoditized. The value on them needs to go down such that the talent pool of the country can focus on creating more value from newer avenues versus people having or private platforms being able to capture margin and retain that. So it's a good thing. It's going to happen and it's a great thing. The new incentive scheme that ONDC has launched in which it was going to cap discount levels of various categories. Earlier, we saw that ONDC's discount margins were pretty high and now the new incentive schemes that have been introduced, they are capping the discount level for various categories at some level. Do you think this is going to impact the order and flow for ONDC? Unsure if it could be yeah, uh, I already uh, shared the trajectory. So the incentive scheme was changed when the network hit 20,000. We've gone past 35,000 post that. So short answer, incentives help uh, create excitement, uh, boost trials. Um, but if there is value being created, then their job is to be used for that. And they should not be sustained beyond a threshold. And I think that is visible even in the current trajectory. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's like promoting a new launch, right? And this is more adoption and everybody has to come together for it. Simplify this, it's promoting of a new launch. You will assist this launch. You will make sure that all you can provide to make sure the scheme gets adopted, the platform gets adopted. Everything is, is basically to make sure adoption comes to that certain threshold level that she was talking about earlier. And you are aiding it in center structures. Now, capping of discount or no capping of discount, I think what will happen is eventually, uh, Jyoti, there will be more and more means and ways of making sure 
the uh, incentive for the buyer remains, incentive for the seller remains. Uh, and you will probably see some more policy changes also over a period of time, just to make sure the sustained impact of this uh, platform remains and the adoption increases. And this is classically like a new launch. And, and you'll see that happening for some time till the time the commerce becomes more seamless, the commerce becomes more intuitive to adopt uh, and you have more and more enrollments. That's when you'll start seeing stabilization of some of these policy changes. But yeah, it just helps in, in the initial phase of uh, this platform where both ends are trying to figure out how to use it. Maybe this was more to get the word out, to get it kickstarted and get a momentum build up so that they can now build on this and take it forward. I thank all my guests for joining in for this podcast and giving in their valuable inputs. Thank you.